Welcome to Sunday morning. Just carrying on from last week where we were thinking about mothers and Mother's Day and you know we look at our mum's faces and we think about their lives and the stories and the connections. Um, it, it's dawned on me in this COVID time that the things that I've really struggled with is feeling connected. Um, and what I want to do today is just encourage us around uh, our stories, particularly our stories of faith, because the whole of the Christian life is really one big uh, story, uh, one big adventure that we're still writing. And it's challenging when we think about stories because we can just sort of shut off because we're always looking for connections around stories. How does this story connect to me? What is it saying about uh, things that have happened to me? And the power of the story always returns when there's a connection. So I've been looking for stories and I, I've been finding stories and I've been hungering uh, to find my connection to God through stories that I connect to. And very, very quickly, just three that have struck me in recent times. The first one was on Compass just on Sunday night. As a young Catholic priest, I think his surname was Gallia, or uh, Gallica, something like that, Father Gallica, and a very gifted young uh, songwriter. But he told the story of growing up in Malta and have coming from, he said two things about Malta, uh, we're all Catholics and we all party. It's a party island. And uh, he became disconnected from his Catholic faith and more and more into the drugs and ultimately the violence uh, of life in that party culture. And he said the violence had to do with power. We lacked power because of poverty. And he said, I, I, I'd become a, a violent addict. And he said a situ situation happened where it turned that uh, from becoming the hunter, as my gang were, I'd become the hunted. And for eight weeks, there's one of our local friends just saying good morning to you there. Uh, for eight weeks, he'd gathered in uh, and hunkered down in his bedroom. And he said that was when he started to, to cry out really in anger to God about his life. And he said in that anger, uh, he blamed God for his circumstance. He blamed God for his lack of opportunity. He blamed God that people hated him and were after him and wanted to do him uh, great damage. But the story, uh, in the story, he said, I had this sort of sense of someone being in the room with me. And he said that the only thing about that presence in the room with me was there was this constant tear in his eye. And he said, in time, Jesus impacted his heart through this process. And was, here he was, a Catholic priest, very gifted musician, and has sort of become the poster boy musician um, for Roman Catholic youth uh, throughout Australia as the, song, the songster up the front. But that story of his anger and bitterness and his fear and panic and fury uh, and this story of the presence of God somehow being there in that room with him with um, tears in his eyes and those tears were for him. The other story that struck me was uh, Duffy. Duffy was over here the other day and and he knew we'd, um, we'd spent time in Burke and um, 
he'd been on the internet and one of the things that he'd come across from a group called the Gospel Coalition, uh, they'd got sort of important Christians to do a sort of a fireside chat during COVID time. And one of the people that they'd got to do a fireside chat uh, was once again another song. Isn't it important how songs are, important songs are? Another songster named Colin Buchanan. Colin uh, and his wife Anne had spent a year at uh, Perabore at Cornerstone in Burke, uh, where Cheryl and I were. And, um, and it was interesting because when he sat down for his fireside chat, he said he, what came to his mind was the story of the most impactful year of his life. And he shared in this video clip, that, and as he sang some songs, that uh, his one year at Perabore was the most transformational year of his life. And he spoke about Malcolm and Amartha and the nuns in town and uh, people who did various simple things. There was the family who went to um, uh, grow grapes but ended up building a paddle steamer. Um, and the person who really grabbed him, and I've mentioned him before, was a, uh, an old guy named um, Bill Mander, Courageong, as he was known. And uh, our daughter Claire is named after Courageong's daughter, Claire. And, um, and in the year that we were there, um, Courageong died. He was killed. But the backstory of Courageong's life was very sad. He was um, a Korean War veteran, had become seriously alcoholic, very dysfunctional and um, had done great wounds to his family and his kids. But here he was in this latter stage of his life where his life had been a complete wreck and he'd found his way uh, back, uh, you know, 17 kilometres down the Wanaring Road outside of Burke, living in a caravan with a little annex made of Besserbock blocks uh, and iron and uh, he loved the footy and the students in the community would wander into Currajong's place. And it was true that every now and then he'd go on a bender, um, but then he'd repentantly stop that and, uh, and come back to his annex made of Besserbloch and iron. And uh, there was this process of restoration. And Colin, in his music, said in his relationship with Currajong and seeing what God had done in Currajong's life had been so important to him. So while Bill would go off the rails, he'd, he'd come back and you could tell that in his heart of hearts, uh, he was on a new adventure. He, he'd been changed and there was something about when we see people's lives change that it just so, so grabs us and grabs our heart. And he was actually riding back on his old unregistered motorbike from the schoolhouse where he'd been fixing kids' shoes uh, and he just rode onto the road and was hit by a truck. <laughs> he just didn't look. He just came flying out and died instantly. And uh, I remember back in the day, my our car was the hearse um, as we buried Courage on, on the Red, Red Ridge uh, by the windmill. At the, but it's stories, you see, that, that grab us and see they connect us to what God's doing and has done in our lives, and that's so necessary. And the final little story 
Um, I was listening to conversations yesterday, my favourite Australian female author, a lady named Helen Garner, um, <clears throat> and I'd encourage anyone to read. She's a, a, a superb author and, uh, you know, brilliant rat bag in the 1970s. And, of course, she hung out in all the places where I hung out in Melbourne. She's significantly older than me. And she writes about it, and so it's incredibly attractive because it connects for me. And she was telling a story about seeing an apparition in a room in her house in a particularly troubled time of her life as her second marriage was failing. And she describes so sparsely but so powerfully this presence being in the room from her. And the thing that she described that fascinated me was her determination not to turn around and look at it. Because she said, I knew if I turned around and look at it that I would have to fall to my knees. It would be so overwhelmingly, profoundly beautiful but awesome and so powerful. And she said, I would not turn around and look at it for that reason, but also because she said, I knew deep within myself that it would demand something of me, transformation and change, and that would be forever. So she never turned around and she never faced um, that transforming presence. It's just a little story. And I want to finish today um, with, with scripture, of course, because one thing that you may not know about the Apostle Paul and that you may not know about the whole of scripture, where it's, whether it's Mary's life or Jesus' life, is that the stories that come to us in scripture, we're often told they're fairy tales. My brother says to me, oh, you know, you and your fairy tales. Folks, they're not fairy tales. They're history. They're not myths or legends. They're about places and people in space and time and history. And the Apostles Paul's story I've been reading about in recent times, and it's just so grabbed me. You know, he's an extraordinary young mind. And two things had really grabbed him in his life. Um, the first was Torah, which just means the law. And <clears throat> he was absolutely convinced that in the writings of God was the truth of the whole purpose of the cosmos and the creation. And the second thing that had really come across him, and we see this in his early pre-Christian life, was a thing called zeal. We heard of the zealots. But zeal was actually a thing. And it was what happened when young men took the scriptures absolutely seriously. And they took from the scriptures stories that were embedded in there where young Jewish men had acted often violently but in the name of the preservation of the integrity of God in their midst and often against uh, you know, the enemies of God, but also against those who would be of the house of Israel who were, were not functioning uh, as they should. They were unholy, unrighteous, prostituting themselves. They'd taken on the ways of the nations. And so Torah and zeal formed Paul's life and we know that because we see him consenting to the stoning of Stephen before he came to faith but this morning just that that glimpse of connection in the story of Paul's conversion to Jesus what must it have taken 
for someone like that to change. But um, I've been reading Tom Wright's book and he says it's the first chapter of Ezekiel and it's just amazing because this story in the first chapter of Ezekiel was a story of great hope because God's people, like you may be today through this COVID time, you're thinking, what does it all mean? What does my faith add up to? Oh, duh, you know, what am I doing? Well, the Jews could have felt like that because uh, they were overrun, they were without power, they were misunderstood, um, but they'd been shaped by these great stories. And there was some hope that there would be a return and a renewal I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, I'm kind of longing for God to just show me clearly what should I do? Uh, how should I be? And it struck me that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not that unlike this, this guy, Paul, who was looking for God to turn up and, you know, looking for God to somehow break through in one of those heroic kind of ways where we go from being uncertain to being absolutely certain. And what Paul knew uh, from the Bible was that there was an expectation that despite their exile and despite their failure and despite, uh, as it says here in, in Ezekiel, um, people who've rebelled against me, a nation of rebels, that's what they'd be come like but that God was going to come back and set things to right and and and, and the, Paul knew that as a study of of Torah and and a man of zeal a young man of zeal that the word was be ready this again and again be ready be ready and so I'm sitting here with you this morning as you think about all the stories of your life and where you're at the cry of these young zealous men and the cry of scripture and the cry of the prophets and the cry to you today of God is don't be lame, don't be drifting, don't be just making it up in your own head, be ready. And so on the Damascus road, here's the young Paul, studier of Torah, concentrating on, on something from the Bible. And one of the things he could have been concentrating on, just possibly, is the first chapter of Ezekiel. And I encourage you to flick it open because it's this amazing chapter uh, where Ezekiel talks about, in his readiness, the hand of God being on him. And he looks and he's looking to the north and there's this wind. And in the wind, he sees a great cloud and uh, brightness all around it. And I'm skipping through the text here. And he sees fire flashing, continuing, gleaming amber. And there are four magnificent winged creatures that seem to be on some sort of a chariot or vehicle. And next to these winged creatures uh, are these huge, monstrous wheels. And these creatures just go relentlessly forward in fire and cloud and stones of incredible beauty and value and it's the spirit that directs this forward and I imagine Paul on the Damascus road studying because this is this is what zeal looked like we 
we were relentlessly thinking and praying through Torah, through what we knew of the scripture. And I can imagine him in almost in a trans-like state on this journey on a donkey, picturing himself ready, ready for the return, ready for what uh, his purpose was in life. And as he travelled along this road and he sees... Um, burnished bronze and wings and hands and faces because these creatures were like humans and him sitting there on the donkey clip clop clip clop but it, within himself him him as it were progressing in his reflections and his meditation and his prayer up the body of this creature uh, like a chariot moving relentlessly forward to fulfill his purpose to bring the whole of the created order um, back into order and he, him, him agreeing, yes, God, yes, God. And as he moves his eyes, as this passage moves, it's as though the eyes are, are moving from down low up past the wheels to the outstretched wings. As I looked, he keeps saying, there are four creatures. The rims are awesome. Then there's something like a dome and the wings are stretched out. And there's like the thunder of the Almighty. And he's looking and he's, he's expecting, expectantly coming closer and closer, dare, dare I say, to see the unseeable, who is the divine presence of God. And there's a voice from the dome. And he's thinking, who is this? What does the voice look like? Who is this voice? And then there's sapphires and a throne. And he's looking up and up and up and up. And who does he see but this malevolent, this despicable, this crucified carpenter? from Nazareth whose followers he's consented to stoning to death because they are not of zeal they're not of Torah they're heretical and he sees on the Damascus road that it's this Jesus of Nazareth who's high and who's lifted up and whose praise fills the whole expectation of the return of God and he's utterly and completely undone in this moment what an amazing story what an amazing mess up of your life what an amazing confusion and so many of the stories of God's work in our lives it, it's love it's power but it messes our lives up no end and asks of us that our lives might be remade in a new way and connected to the truth of God in a whole new way. To be connected to Jesus, who is the suffering sacrifice, who is a prince of peace, not a God of war, who is a God who would ask us to seek and to save by serving, who would ask us to reconnect with our community and sacrifice and love so here's the thing in this time where we can kind of drift off into ourselves what's connecting you to jesus today for paul it was 
pre-Christian, it was Torah, it was scripture. I found the Psalms so helpful in this time for me of, of deep uncertainty. For him, it was also zeal, which was sort of to fight with violence, you know, drink bleach, <laughs> um, get your guns out and let's fight. But no, uh, I found its quietness and sitting, which I've reflected on in an earlier talk. Can I encourage you to look to Jesus and to watch for and water, nourish those connections that bring you to life spiritually. Nourish and water those connections that bring you alive spiritually. And be looking, be open, be ready. Please experience, please receive my heart of love and prayer for you today. Please stay connected and God bless you.